Okay, so we started, um, where, let, me, let me do it different, sorry. Uh, let's just go backwards. So last week we looked at Jesus and the law. We looked at how he approached the law, and, and he comes and he says, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. He didn't ignore, Jesus didn't ignore the law, he didn't undermine the law, he didn't override the law, he didn't abolish it, he didn't destroy it, he didn't pretend that it had no place or purpose in the world, instead he obeyed it. He explained it, he helped us understand more about what it was about, and then he brought the law to its intended end. The law was always intended to show us Christ. He fulfilled it in the same way that he fulfilled prophecies, he fulfilled the law. When we read the law, we should be looking for Jesus, not looking for our righteousness, not looking for our our works, our own salvation. We should be looking to see Jesus, and he tells us that in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And then the week before, we looked at God's commands. God does have an expectation for his people, uh, and, and we see this in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. As our great high priest, Jesus affirmed the greatness of the Old Testament commands. Again, he didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to pretend it didn't exist. He didn't come to act as if it wasn't important. He affirmed the greatness of the, of the Old Testament commands but not without a new covenant perspective. In fact, as he puts the law together and summarizes it based on love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself, as he did that, he did something that the rabbis, so far as we know, as, as far as we can understand and discern in Jewish history, they had never done. But from a new covenant perspective, he, he, he hangs all of the law on this idea of loving God and loving neighbor such that if we understand that and really seek to apply it, as you'll see today, I think, uh, it's not necessary to have a bunch of rules to live by because if I'm loving you, if you're loving me in truth, if you're loving me as Christ has loved me, if I'm loving you as Christ has loved you, or has has loved me, if, if I'm loving you as Christ has loved me, then I don't need a bunch of rules to live by that keep me from harming you or keep me from sinning against you, but instead empower me to actually live for your good, empower you to live for my good. And so it becomes a new new command, as he called it, to love one another as he has loved us, especially seeing it work out in and among his people. Now today, as we continue kind of seeking that out and trying to understand how God has commanded us as his people to live as a new covenant people. We're going we're gonna to turn now to Paul's letter. Because Paul, didn't, he didn't introduce something that Jesus didn't uh, affirm. He didn't introduce something new. And Jesus and Paul are somehow in contradiction to one another. We actually see Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, he knew the law. He lived by the law. And in fact, in the book of Philippians, he's like, I'm a, I was a Pharisee. According to the law, I was righteous. I was justified. And then his eyes are open to the reality of how unjust he was, and God shows him the truth, and he sets all that aside and calls it loss because he's pursuing the great treasure, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection. And so, but he does exactly what Jesus did. He shows us the continuity, the connection between the old covenant and the new, but he also depends on or, or demonstrates that there's a strong discontinuity or disconnect between what's old and new, and so we don't run to the law or the Old Testament in the same way that we used to. And primarily, like I said, we're going to read one verse that's going to, that's going to set the foundation, we're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, look all across the, 
the book of Philippians to see how this one verse is actually uh, maybe the summation of his whole point uh, in the letter. So let's read it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom in Christ, or for, I'm sorry, let me say that, start again. Make it sound right the way it's supposed to be in read. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, as I just even think about this word, as I hear these words for the, the call to freedom, the, the, the right thing to do to stand in freedom. I recognize that in my own heart, I define that in a number of different ways. And I feel free in a number of different things. But help us today see what freedom really is and help us to live it as we've been called to. Help us to understand how it is that we truly find, find freedom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think you would agree with me that freedom is a, a high, extremely high American value. Who are you to tell me what to do, right? And, and uh, I get to live my life so long as I'm not hurting anybody else or bringing harm to anyone else. I can do what I, uh, just so long as I feel good about it, you know. And, 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 and I don't know that everybody likes this, but I, I can't imagine that it doesn't strike at the, at the heart of every red-blooded American. You know, the movie Braveheart, in the, at, at the very end, or one of the very end scenes, he's, he's lived a life of uh, rebellion, and he's standing up for the little guy. He's calling a, out for freedom for Scotland against King Edward. He's he's fighting battles for it, and eventually he's captured, and they torture him, and and uh, and they call him to renounce his um, his position. And at the very you know at the very end of the scene, the music's playing. He looks out and he sees this woman that he was. Uh, that he had fallen for, that he loved deeply. He sees her walking through the crowd, you know, this big spiritual, spiritualized moment, and he cries out with the last of his power and strength, freedom, you know. And they flash to the king, who's dying in his bed, the same way William Wallace is dying on the table. And he's shown to be a hero. And the whole message of the movie demonstrates freedom to be something that is found in standing up against tyrannical rule. Freedom is being who God or, or, or who you have affirmed yourself to be. The freedom is the throwing off of authority that you don't affirm or approve of. Freedom is self-rule. Freedom is me getting to do what I feel is right and necessary. Freedom is me getting to set my own standards and live according to them. I would submit to you that that is absolutely broken, is absolutely false, that it has no place in the biblical or truth-oriented view of what freedom really is. In fact, I would just illustrate it quickly from the one verse we read. For freedom, has, for freedom Christ has set us free. You're free! But what follows that immediately? A command to not give in to anything but freedom. You don't have the choice. You don't have the opportunity. You don't even have the, op the, 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 the breath to breathe in and, and, and think that Paul means that there's no authority outside, outside of your own. You don't have the opportunity to think that freedom in some way is you getting to choose everything 
for yourself. You don't have any opportunity, even the space to think. With, before he gives you the command, after the call to freedom, he gives you no room to, to begin to daydream that suddenly there's no authority, that you get to be your own. He actually gives you a command immediately. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The point is that freedom isn't about getting what you want, having your way, getting to rule your own life. It isn't about living with no authority over us. It's not about getting to be our own God or define our own terms and everybody else just has to figure it out. Instead, Scripture has a radically different idea of what freedom is and its source. It's found in Christ. It's only in Him. Christ sets us free. And in Him, we find freedom. And so that brings us to the, to the main point of the, of the message today. In fulfilling the law and prophets, Jesus provided the only freedom that truly frees. In fulfilling the law and prophets, Jesus provided the only freedom that truly frees. He's the one that fulfilled the law. He's the one that lived it. He's the one that obeyed it perfectly. He's the one that teaches us that it's so much more than this letter of, of, of activity. This, this, if you just meet the expectation in your actions, then you're okay. Because what he did is he turned around and explained that every action should be driven by a heart attitude. And if it's not driven by a heart attitude, it's still disobedience. He's the one then that the law was always pointing to. He fulfilled the law and prophets. And as we come to him, in him, he's provided a freedom that truly frees. And this is, I think, one of the central themes, if not the central theme of the book of Galatians, the whole of the letter. Jesus has done this for us. Though the word freedom is only used like three times in the whole letter, it's antithesis or it's opposite, I'm sorry, it's it's antonym, the, the, the thing that's on the other side, captivity, slavery, bondage, all of these things are, is focused on repeatedly and always pointing us to Christ. And now we come here in Galatians 5.1 and we see that the reality is that, that it's all wrapped up in Christ. In fact, as uh, theologians deal with this, as Bible scholars deal with this, they look at the first, they recognize that chapter 5 verse 1 is actually connected to all that comes before it. That the, the, the way the language works and the way that we... It's, it's a little more difficult to see in English the for freedom Christ has set us free is actually there's a way in which it actually connects to everything that's come before it. But it also launches us into everything that comes after it. So it's a transitional verse. It's like a, um, it's like a hinge, you know, that the, the whole letter hinges on this verse. And so we see it, we, we begin to see that this becomes central to his thesis, central to his point. And what he does over and over through this letter is show us that Christ has freed us from certain things, but not from and then to nothing, and then you get to just be free to yourself. But he's freed us from things, and he's freed us to things. And that's what we're going to work through as we drive to the end idea and seeking to see this really applied in our lives. Uh, we're going to talk about what he's freed us from and what he's freed us to. And as we do that, we're going to look to all the verses in Galatians that, that demonstrate these things. And I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list. We could, we could be here all day. I don't want to do that. I just want, to, uh, I want you to see the example of it. Then you go read Galatians and see 
if this does, doesn't prove true. I think you'll find it does. Or else I wouldn't be here saying it. So, first, in Christ we are free from the lies of false teachers. In Christ we are free from the lies of false teachers. Now, I'm just going to say this right up front, uh, that, that, that this is false teachers that are inside the covenant and outside the covenant. And, and by inside the covenant, I don't mean that they're covenant people, but they look like church people. Right, That they look like people who are religious and they have the form of religion and everything they do is, looks religious and it looks noble and it looks like it's God-honoring, but they're not really God-honoring. And so he's going to deal with both. But primarily, the problem the Galatians were having was false teachers who looked very religious, would fit very comfortably in Christian circles, would fit very comfortably in church services but who had given themselves to the, to, to the law in such a way that it actually undermined the reality of their Christianity. And we can see this in Galatians 3, 1, that we're free from the lies of false teachers. Oh, foolish Galatians, he says. And that's strong language, right? I, I know sometimes I push on you guys a little bit, right? Like, I understand that sometimes I use illustrations that are purposefully difficult for you to hear because I want you to see the contrast. But if I just get up and start calling you foolish, <laughs> how's that going to go over? Right? But Paul was not afraid. Paul's like, hey, you need to hear this. He's, he's desperate for these people. He uses language. He's perplexed about these people. He's concerned about where they're headed. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put you under a spell? Who's controlling you with, with, their, with their teaching? Who's, who's come and, and worked out this witchcraft on your minds? Who has brought you into bondage? By their spell. And then he contrasts that. Who has bewitched you is before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. You heard the gospel. You know what it's about. You saw it. You heard it. They weren't eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But they heard all about it. They knew exactly what it was about. He He had taught them. He had ensured that they understood it. And fruit was born out of that. But now he's away and he's listening and he's hearing. Some people have come in and they've bewitched. They've controlled with words and teaching. It's kind of surprising, really. And we're going to see this in just a minute, but uh, uh, more clearly, more plainly. He's going to refer to the pagan religions that they were a part of in Galatia. These weren't Jewish people that became Christians. These were people who lived according to the pagan religions of the day. And there's Temples of uh, t- temples to Zeus and, and others just near these in, in Galatia in, in these regions. But he's not confronting them. Why didn't he confront them? Like, that's what we would do, right? Like we're, we're, we're all about the false teachers that are telling us that Jesus isn't God or that, or that uh, are running off into other gospels, prosperity gospel and and uh, social gospels, and we're all concerned. You need to name those names. I get told it pretty often. He's calling out the false teachers that in every way look completely acceptable on the outside until you begin to see the source of their authority is the law. To be quite honest, it's not that I'm not concerned about the Joel Osteens. I wasn't sure if I was going to say this. I am going to say it. It's not that I'm not concerned about the Joel Osteens or the, um, I can't remember the guy's name now. It's how much attention I give to them. Not for our church, anyway. I am concerned about them because they're misleading a lot of people. 
What concerns me for our church, for the people sitting in this room, are the people who sound and use the gospel but place it under the authority of the law. You must do. And I'd venture a guess, if we sat down and, and walked down your podcast listening level, your podcast stuff and, and the books you read, I bet I could point to you people who are potentially deceiving and bewitching you because they're encouraging you to live according to a law rather than the grace of God only found in Jesus Christ. I'm concerned for that. Only Christ frees in such a way that we're truly free. It's it. We are free from the false teachers of every sort. And, 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 and I think, really, I, I, really, I want to be careful as I say this. I, 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 I think that we unintentionally get caught up in things that are noble and are good that then we begin to place on other people. We might name some of those here in just a minute as we get to another one of the verses that demonstrates that we ourselves are being bewitched, that we're being deceived. Jesus plus anything equals slavery. It equals bondage. It equals going backwards. It equals no longer grace, but you've deserved and earned and gained something. I, I love the testimonies that were shared this morning by, by Dominic and Meredith, both of them recognizing. I was trying to do it. I tried to figure it out. I tried. How many of us know that? How many of us have done that ourselves and, and recognize? I, I did the stuff. I walked the aisle. I said the prayer. I did all the stuff. And it didn't mean anything. Because in and of itself, all of the traditions that we practice today, though there's good things that come from the traditions... If they become a law for you or anyone else, it undermines the grace of God that's in Christ Jesus alone. It undermines the freedom that he has freed you to. In Christ, we are free from the false teachers. In Christ, we're free from the curse of the law. See, here's the beauty of what, not, not, only, has he, not only has he freed us from the false teachers, but he has freed us from the religious systems. And the first one, is those that, that come preaching the law, free from the curse of the law. Those that, that put on religion as if it's a, a formal thing that's an exercise from the outside in. And if I can just do the right things, I'll become acceptable to God. It's a people who have a list of rules that they and everyone else must abide by. Here's the one thing I think that the, that the folks that were bewitching the Galatians had going for them. They were, the, they were called the Judaizers. And their point was, is that, hey, here's Jesus is great, and, and we want you to hear about Jesus, and we want you to know that he died on a cross, and, he's, uh, uh, and he rose from the grave. We want you to know that, but really what you got to do is add to that all the Jewish law. Here's the thing that I think they had going for them. It's not good, but at least they had it going for them. At least they were doing it with Scripture. At least they weren't making up a bunch of list of rules and feeling righteous because they lived their life a certain way based on extra-biblical traditions and rules that we tend to, t to practice today in churches. In Christ, we're free from the curse of the law. Now, don't misunderstand. The law, 
The law was good. The law was God's. He, he's the one that spoke it, right? It's, it's not that the law was in and of itself bad. The problem was always us. But the law, the religion, the, the, the covenant that, that Moses uh, was, was mediating, and its law, its code, bound people in sin. Galatians 3.10, it bound them under a curse. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Wait a minute. It's the law. It's scripture. It's good. Cursed be everyone who abides not, or cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's a quote from the law. If, if we're going to lean into the law, we can't just lean into one. We can't just take one, the one we like, the one that makes us feel good. We can't just take one of them. We can't just, we, we can't just take a part of them. If you're going to take one of them, you've got to take the whole thing. That's, that's one of the reasons. It's, it's actually this letter right here that, that finally, I, I just, I, I, I finally realized, and, and I'm not trying to be, um, well, I don't want to be offensive ever, but that's not true either. But, sorry, I'm working through things in my mind. I don't want to just be argumentative, but this is one of the reasons why I would reject the, the, the historical tripartite division of the law, moral civil, ceremonial. Because you can't just take one out. If you're going to take one, you've got to take the whole thing. It's a unit. If you're going to take five of the Ten Commandments, you've got to take all the Ten Commandments. If you're going to take the Ten Commandments, you've got to take the judgments that immediately follow them that are explanations of the Ten Commandments. If you're going to take the judgments that immediately follow the Ten Commandments, you've got to take all the Levitical law. You've got to take it all. We've never been given freedom to do anything but recognize the law is a unit. If we take one, we got to take them all. And if we take, take any of them, we're cursed by all of them. But the problem isn't the law. The problem is our inability to fulfill the law. The problem is our inability to obey the law, to do all that it says. And so... Even though the law is good, it is holy. It demonstrates righteousness. All it will ever do for us is demonstrate we are not. We're bound in a curse. We're enslaved to the curse. And this breaks out a little further. Galatians 3, 21 through 23. Galatians 3, 21 through 23. Just, just following after. Is the, is, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. He's, he's, he's emphasizing the, the goodness of the law, the righteousness of the law. Is it contrary to God? No. Is it contrary to his promises? No. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So I just want you to think about the words that he's used to this point. Bewitched, under the control of false teaching. <laughs> Cursed, uh, bound in a curse in, in the previous verse, right? Or, or um, you're under a curse. In this verse, it's, it's uh, imprisoned. It's held captive. This is what the law does. Why would anyone 
who's been made free then want to enslave themselves again? Why, why would anyone not realize what the law will always do? This is why Paul's going to say here in just a few verses. We're not going to read. I don't, I don't think it's on the list. But, but he's going to say, I'm perplexed by you. I'm, I'm concerned that all, of I've, all I've done is in vain. He's not even certain that they ever really were Christian, that they ever truly were converted because they are so ready to see themselves enslaved to a law that was never theirs to begin with. They're pagans. They're worshiping all kinds of false gods. They've just traded one set of rules and one set of empty things for another. Why would they do that? Tell me, he says in Galatians 4.21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Why in the world would you want to live? Have you not heard what it says? Have you not understood what it's meant? And then what's beautiful, he actually drives himself, he, he actually draws, he goes back all the way to, to Abraham and to Hagar and Sarah, and he, and he br- brings this allegorical per- perspective and and I don't want you going allegorizing the scripture on your own. Don't, don't, don't try to play that game. It's a dangerous game. But when it's done in scripture, we can trust it. He goes and he draws on Abraham, the promises made to Abraham and, and the slave that gave Abraham a son named Ishmael and the, and the wife that gave Abraham the promised son, Isaac. He says these are representative of two different systems. Ishmael, representative of the slavery of the law, Isaac, the representative of the promise that ultimately Isaac would point to Jesus and ultimately Jesus would be the one who frees. He says, hey, throw the slave woman and her son, the slavery that's with them, out. They have no place among you. See, the point he's making is that when we read the law, we need the ears of of Christ, We need the wisdom of Christ. Don't read the letter of the law, but look at what it's pointing us to. Look at what's behind it. Look at what's underneath of it. Look at what it's always preparing us for. It certainly had a place. It certainly had a purpose. But Jesus Christ fulfilled it. He finished it. And to, to the point that even the writer of Hebrews, as he points to Christ... He speaks of the new priesthood that demands a, a new law. And he speaks of the obs- that the new covenant made the old covenant obsolete. He finished that work. And so we throw it out. Not treating it as it is not scripture. But reading the scripture looking for Christ. Not for our own selfish justification. In Christ we are free from the curse of the law. In Christ, the other religious system, in Christ we are free from weak and worthless idolatries, the other religious system. We are free from weak and worthless idolatries, Galatians 4, 8, and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And he's referencing their history. He's referencing where they came from. They were pagans. They were, they were worshiping multiple gods. There was temples all over the place that these people would go and, and pay tribute to all types of gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, and this is the higher value, or rather be known by God, 
I mean, think about that. We're so quick to say, I know God. That's awesome. I'm glad you know God. Are you known by God? That's the value. Now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And what he does in these verses is actually equate the pagan worship to a religious pagan worship. Because they're not trying to go back to the Zeus worship and the pagan idolatry. They're not trying to get back there. That's not the people that are bewitching them. That's not the people who are deceiving them. That's not the false teachers who are preaching to them. Who are the false preachers preaching to them? The Judaizers that say you must get circumcised if you're really going to be a Christian. You must eat certain kinds of foods and not eat other kind of foods if you're going to be a Christian. You must observe certain holidays if you're going to be Christian and not observe other days if you're going to be Christian. There's this law to follow to maintain your Christianity. You can, you can have Jesus, but what you really need is the law. And he just made them both the same. And here's, here, I, I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago, and I told you I don't really like the language of the left and the right, like the ditches on either side. And we got this road in the middle. What Paul just showed us is that legalism and license, they're on a road that's fraught with trouble because we're always trying to figure out how to stay off of legalism and license, and it's all about what we do. I can't stand that imagery for this very reason. Because legalism and license are the same pagan worship. When Christ frees us, he puts us on a whole new level, on a whole new plane, a road without ditches. You're going to see this break out and play itself out more fully when we get to the other side of this conversation. But the reality is, is that in Christ, we don't have to try to avoid anything so much as give ourselves to the things of Christ. Paul equates both weak and worthless idolatries of both sides of this equation. So don't give yourselves to either, he says. In Christ, we have a freedom that's truly free. We are free from weak and worthless idolatries. We're free from the curse of the law. And we are free from false teachers. But where does that leave us? We now, uh, under the American ideal, nobody can tread on me, you can't rule over me, I get to have my own way. No. We're free to something as well. There's another part of this argument that plays itself out all the way through the letter, just in the same way. Contrasting ideals, that you're free from something, but you're free to something. In Christ, we're free to live by faith. You're like, ah, that's not enough. You know, uh, and I know I'm... I'm I, I know most of you, you understand that's enough. The struggle is believing, right? The, the fight, the work that we're called to do is to believe. But it's not a faith that's just empty and a, a said faith, a faith that, that ah, man, I, it's just, I, oh, I believe. I believe. No, it's a faith that produces stuff, that, that changes things. It's a faith that's dem demonstrable in our lives. It's a faith that produces righteousness. Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Life is produced. Justice and, uh, justification is produced by faith. It's by believing him, trusting him, entrusting yourself to him completely. 
Not your works, not, not pagan worship, not pagan idolatries, not those things, and not the empty worthlessness of, 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 of religion that's empty and, and uh, has no heart behind it. To try to be counted righteous by the things that we do, we will always be counted unrighteous. The only way to righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we're free to live by faith, a faith that is for today and tomorrow, a.k.a. hope. Hope is a confident expectation. It's a a, a certainty of what's coming. It's a faith for the future. Galatians 5, 5, for through, through the Spirit, by faith. Right? You recognize this is something that faith produces. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Even though we struggle with sin, we have a hope, a confident expectation that having been made righteous in Christ by, by, by faith producing righteousness in us, even though we still struggle with sin, we will not be sent away when Christ returns. We will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of what we've done. In spite of what we've actually done. But because our faith is in him. We have hope that we have an inheritance that's waiting for us. We have a, a faith that then is proven by love. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And so what he does here, and we, we, we could put all kinds of things in this, right? Like, it's not that there's no value in circumcision. It's not that there's no value in being uncircumcised at all in a physical way. But in Christ Jesus, circumcision loses its place. It loses its value. There's no purpose in Christ anymore. The whole law is that way. In Christ Jesus. And Mark tells us that he made all foods clean. And so why in the world will we continue to live by food laws? Are you free to do that? Are you free to limit your diet? Are you free not to eat pork if you don't want to eat pork? Are you, are you free to miss out on the glory that is bacon? I mean, that's your free, you're free to do that. But eating bacon or not eating bacon has no value in Christ Jesus. Right? Only faith working through love. But let's be a little bit more pointed. What's the law you're living by? What's the law you're applying to other people? What's the demands you're placing on others? What is such a high value to you that Christian people would only ever do this? You can only be Christian if, or every good Christian will do this. Voting? This one will hit a little close to home, maybe. But your value on homeschooling or not homeschooling? I mean, there's whole ministries that are given to the ideal that if you're really good Christian parents, you'll homeschool your children. And then there's people who stand up against that and react and pretend as if, no, you're, 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 you're sinning against the mission if you homeschool your parents. On both sides, people writing laws for people to live by. Instead of recognizing the freedom that comes in Christ. What's your value? Enjoy your value. Live in the freedom that is in Christ. 
circumcision or non-circumcision have no value in Christ Jesus. That's not what frees you. That's not what measures your righteousness. That's not what makes you acceptable. That's not what makes you holy. Only faith working itself out in love. Trusting so deeply in the gospel of Christ Jesus that when you speak about these things, you seek to challenge people to see your view, not because you'll only accept them if they're like you, but so that they'll understand that there might be value in what they have to say. But there's freedom to stand and disagree as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Faith working through love. And he, he fills that idea out in just, a, in, in just a couple of verses. He says, Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for, as an opportunity for the flesh. So don't run off and sin simply because you're free. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, he's not, he's not just totally throwing out the law. He recognized the value of the law, but the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the, this came out in our community group conversation the other night. And it, I, think, I think it'll be helpful. When we seek to obey the law, who's our attention on? When we seek to live according to the law, whether it's the law that's in the Bible or the law that we've made up ourselves, who is our attention on? Ourselves. I'm not that. I am this. I'm not that. I'm this. Well, God, thank you for not making me like that. I'm glad I'm like this. Who does love focus our attention on? Everybody else. The law enslaves. We've been freed from it. And we have been freed to love one another. And that comes through faith. We have been freed to believe, to trust him, to place our trust in him so much that it produces righteousness in us. It produces hope in us and a love that moves us to one another instead of standing opposed to one another. In Christ, we are free to receive God's promises. God's promise of redemption, salvation, eternal blessing. And that's what, that's what he's talking about when he's talking about these promises, right? You go back to those verses we read. He's talking about the eternal life that we have in Christ. That's the promise that's holding on to. But he's connecting that to Abraham, and it's the promises made to Abraham that through you all nations will be blessed, that they will forever be my people, and they will forever be, I will forever be their God. I'm going to give them the land to live in forever. What looked like that was going to be the nation of Israel, but God had a plan and a